Thank you, Ellen. Would you stand with me as we sing together, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Join me in prayer, please. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to come and celebrate and worship you. We thank you, God, for the nation that you have allowed us to be a part of and to, uh, for many of us to grow up in, and the freedoms that we enjoy, especially this freedom to worship and to communicate the gospel of Christ. And so this morning, I pray that we'll be thankful. And in our preparation, to meet you and to experience you, I pray, God, that you would speak boldly through the power of your spirit, through the songs, through the message, through your word, through the prayers and the scripture. God, I pray we're listening. Speak to us and help us to experience your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here at First Baptist Church, Sun City West, on this July the 2nd. Thank you for taking the time and the opportunity. And I ask that if uh, this is the very first time you've been here, we'd ask you to fill out the guest card in the pew in front of you. And when you get ready to leave, just drop it in one of the offering boxes at the, one of the exits. We would certainly appreciate that. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, let's continue our singing and worship the Almighty God.
In 1 John chapter 3, we read these words. Look at how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. Love is the theme, eternal theme. Let's sing. Of the things that men have one supreme he stands alone through the ages it has shown this is wonderful wonderful
Would you please pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today to be here and to be able to worship you. We're also grateful for all those who have served and are serving our country today and to give us the liberty to be free. We just thank you for the message that the pastor will bring this morning. We pray it will bless each of us and touch our hearts. We pray for the concert tonight, Lord, that we pray that many people will come and hear the message and leave here with their hearts changed. We thank you and pray for everything in your name. Amen. As Christians and as Americans, we must do more than recite a pledge or sing an anthem if our nation is to thrive. We must pray. Many of our past presidents have been men of prayer. And so, as an example of how to pray for our nation, we give you some of their heartfelt cries to God. Our first president, George Washington, wrote in his prayer journal, O eternal God, daily frame me for more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. John Adams' prayer for the White House was, I pray for heaven to bestow the best of blessings on this house and all that shall hereafter inhabit it. May none but honest and wise men ever rule under this roof. Abraham Lincoln asked God to let us finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to do all which may, excuse me, to do all which many achieve, and to cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Franklin Roosevelt prayed that God would help us to conquer greed and racial arrogance. Ronald Reagan stated that it's time to realize that we need God more than he needs us. The time has come to turn God and to reassert our trust in him for the healing of America. i 
Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Amos, chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Join and be uplifted by the reading. Amos 7, 1 through 9. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. 
it dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Amos 8, 1 and 2. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. We rejoice in the sharing of these verses, for these are the words of the Lord. I hope your prayer is, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. <coughs> Let
This morning, I think we probably all can agree that we are believers in prayer. We are excited about Sherry, who read our scripture this morning. Last year, uh, myself, one of our deacons, family members, went to the prayer room and prayed with her, anointed her with oil by her request, because she was battling cancer. And this week, a PET scan was done, and she is shown to be, at this moment, cancer-free. So, we're excited. Thank you for reading our scripture this morning. We also know that when we pray, everything we pray for doesn't necessarily come the way we want it to be, right? This morning we talk about the nation of Israel. And God did an amazing work through the shepherd by the name of Amos. And while it is very difficult to parallel the nation of Israel and America, there are some principles we can take out of this passage that I think is very important for our nation. We spend time, and for our family, we had them all yesterday, we won't be there on the July 4th, but there were a lot of, uh, of our family members there, and um, while it was chaotic, it was also heartwarming because we were celebrating together and we had the freedom to do that. And as we celebrate our, our country's Independence Day, I think that it should give us pause to ask the question, what can I do for my country? Well, Christians should vote. I'm a firm believer in that. They should pay their taxes. And also they should serve. But what is the unique contribution of Christians in a nation, and specifically in our nation today? Well, I think the Old Testament prophet Amos would say, plead with God to forgive and cease in judgment. We are called upon by, as believers in Christ to pray for our government officials. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, I urge then, first of all, petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Beyond that, I believe that as Christians, we may see a looming possibility of God's judgment. And we should plead with him to forgive and to stop that judgment from coming. Amos lived among shepherds in a small community just about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. He made it clear in his writings that he was not from a family of prophets, 
nor did he even consider himself a prophet. Rather, he was a grower of sycamore figs, as well as a shepherd. Amos's connection to the simple life, to being around people, blue-collar people that just work hard to live, made its way to the center of his prophecies as he showed a heart for the oppressed, and he also showed that he had a compassion for the voiceless in this world. Amos prophesied, the scripture says, about two years before the earthquake, which was a, a marker in that era. Somewhere around the mid-18th century. If you go into the first part of, of Amos, you will find that he says, um, always, for the three sins of Eden or whoever, and the fourth, using that three and the four to talk about upcoming judgment of other nations, and now Israel itself. It's kind of interesting because the number three actually represents completeness or fullness. But four, when you go into that area, it tips it over. It goes overflows and in this case he's talking about what tipped the scale from God allowing things to happen to where his judgment now was coming his judgment was coming because of the sin of the people from the top down king after king after king in the northern kingdom they sinned and did, the scripture says, evil in the sight of God, and the people came with them in disobedience, in idolatry. God showed Amos here his intent to judge finally and absolutely the ten northern tribes of Israel. And here we find Amos, he begged God to forgive them and to cease. And what we find in chapter 8, we find that because of one layman's prayer, judgment was averted for a while. I think today, too, we should beg God from judging our nation, even though we deserve it. The question is, what is the nature and what is the content of our prayer? Well, first I think the question should be, how should we pray for our nation, the place that we have the privilege of living in? Such a prayer begins when we see what others do not see. God always takes some of his own into his, his inner counsel so that they can see and hear what is hidden to others. And we see that God caused Amos to see two disasters in a vision before they ever happened. He saw that large number of locusts and that locust was going to come as a plague and devour all the food of the land till it would be bare. 
it would be an unstoppable agricultural disaster in the ancient world. Amos also saw the judgment by fire, something like a, a flash of fire that scorched the earth, but also the hidden springs beneath wiped out all the water. That's what God showed him. That's what God was going to do. Amos clearly saw the threats to the nation. And I think that there are some principles there. The question is, do we? As, as God has placed us here, as we are believers in Christ, are we seeing that? Does our church live with any sense that the nation is under threat? Or would we rather not see that and just put it to the side? And say we're no different than anyone else. We're just moving forward in life. When I read scripture, I see that God reaches out to a few who live with the discomfort and the heartache of seeing the threat to a nation. For us, our nation. That when we see things out there, it, it disturbs us. This means that we have to take a moment to take a breath. We have to stop being busy. We have to stop being uh, rushing around. We have to, to stop with the superficial. We're giving Christian platitudes. Oh, God's got it. God's control all things. He's going to take care of it. I don't have to worry about it. Well, that's not what God does, is it? He reaches out to a few and says, I want you to come and intercede. That's what he did with Amos. And I believe that that's what he desires to do with some of us. Intercession continues as we understand the crisis. Amos saw the national survival was threatened. God had clearly revealed that to him. The dreadful plague of locusts, the food supply would be gone. The locusts would eat all the seeds, the vines, and the fruit, devour everything. The scorched earth would cause the deep artesian wells or the artesian water sources to be dried up. So they would have no food and no water. That's a disaster. So I think it causes us pause to look around. Is there any reason to believe that America faces an unprecedented crisis of survival? And God may show some of us and call us to intercede. He may disrupt us and, and bring about this desire to say, ah, oh, this is our mission is to intercede and to pray. Nowhere here do I understand that there are protests or signs. All we see is the prophet of God writing and pleading with God and interceding. It is our greatest source. 
We also find that intercession for the nation comes usually at the most critical moment. <coughs> Amos prayed as the locust plague was coming. God had already prepared it, and it was going to come for the second crop of grain. You see, the king received the first harvest for himself. After the latter rain that would happen in April, the farmers got their second crop of food and, and grain and hay. That was theirs. So the king got the first. They got the second. That was their survival. That was how they would live. Following that second harvest would come six months of absolute drought with no hope for a harvest whatsoever. No way to replant. So to lose the second harvest was to lose it all. And so Amos prayed at the most critical moment that God would stop his judgment. One thing is for certain, I believe, that someday, some generation of praying American Christians will plead before God before that final crisis. And I don't know when that time will come. And I don't know what generation that might be. But I know for us, we must do our part now by praying and interceding. The second question I believe that we have to ask is what should we pray for our nation? So we talked about how we do it, so what should we pray? Well, I believe the intercession comes with an appropriate attitude. Intercession with an appropriate attitude is what Amos did in verses 2 and 5 when he said, Sovereign Lord. In other words, Amos knew that he couldn't do it by himself. He wasn't going to be able to, to rouse a big crowd. The thing that he could do was in his humility because God had led him and called him to see what was going to happen. And so what he did is the reality and humility of saying, God, you are the Almighty. You are the Sovereign Lord. That's how you start. The appropriate attitude that God is the creator. When we plead with God for national survival, we are dealing with the supreme sovereign. Remember that. We are dealing with the exalted one above all. He has all power. We are dealing with the one who has always disposed of nations of the world and its rulers. This is who you go in the presence of to intercede on behalf of a nation. So when we beg for our nation, when we come before God in seriousness of intercession, and it's a deep type of prayer, we come with an unusual sense of God's awesome lordship in history. 
We see from creation to the time that he will return and we'll be with him for eternity that he is the sovereign Lord. We are not. <coughs> At the same time, we come based on our own personal relationship with him. There is such a tension. The Hebrew text says, my God. When, when we pray for the nation, we hold that tension of the loftiness of God, the Almighty, and our personal relationship with him. And how can we come before the Almighty and beg him and plead with him? And yet, that's what he desires because you see, that tension, that is the appropriate attitude in our intercession when we plead before the nation. Also, we find that intercession comes through the appropriate content. It simply represents our request. When we go before God, the content of our prayer is simple. God, this is our request, and we beg you for that. Amos prayed for God to forgive and to cleanse a people even in the absence of their repentance. It was not Amos who said, God, you see them coming back to you and repenting, so forgive them. It's in the midst of their obstinance, their disobedience, that Amos is saying, God, they're not even seeing it. But I plead with you, I beg unto you to forgive them. When Amos saw the judgment of fire, he simply called out for God to cease and stop. There wasn't this elongated, eloquent prayer, but it was a overwhelming sense. Do we see what's coming? God, please, no, stop, cease. I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life when you've seen a child run out in the street in front of a car or you see some event beginning to happen unfolding before you and all you can do is say stop but there's an urgency about it and that is what Amos is trying to get across here our prayers for the nation do not have to be lengthy. It does not add any significance for long prayers and great oratories. I remember when I was a kid, and I probably obviously didn't have the right attitude at that time, but I remember when my dad at the end of the service would call on brother so-and-so to lead in prayer. I knew we were going to be there another 10 minutes. Because <laughs> he, he prayed and prayed and prayed and I don't know. As a kid, that just... But I think the, the idea is true here. We just need to go before God in our intercession. We just need to be fervent and urgent with our prayer. And it needs to be consistent, continual in our sense. 
They have to be intense. They have to be fervent. It's not something like you would pray at the dinner table. It, it's something that you, you go into your closet, you find your place, you find that gap that you have. You plead before God because you have seen what's going to happen. And you say, God, please relent. Relent. A few words is good. If you remember, Jesus raised Lazarus with just a few words. When we talk to God, there doesn't have to be a lot of words, but it has to be genuine, heartfelt, deep, and pleading with passion. Our prayer should give reason to God to cease judgment. In other words, we don't go and just say, God, I, I think this would be a good idea. When you go before God with this urgent, fervent prayer of intercession, Give him a reason of why he needs to listen, why he needs to change what he is already set to do. We find that Amos in, in verses 2 and 5 says, How can Jacob survive? He is so small. The reason is it will wipe out these ten tribes. They will cease to exist. And so... I think it gives us an understanding that we should plead with God based on several things. When we go to before God and prayer for our nation specifically, it should be based on the hopelessness, the helplessness, the littleness, the inability to recover that which characterizes a people who are under judgment. The judgment of God, it is, it is so difficult. We have not faced that. Now, at some point in your life, maybe you have faced the judgment of God. I don't know. But for a nation, it causes an implosion that many do not survive. We seldom go wrong pleading with God for his compassion. Asking God to, to see, to respond, that, that we are ones wanting to stand in the gap. And we want to continue to do that. Now, I will tell you this. It helps us when we plead with God not to judge when we think in terms of individuals rather than the nation. And let me explain that. Sometimes it's hard for us to get the true concept that we need to pray for America. But we need to pray for the people of America. When you, when you think and when you plead and when you pray before God for this nation, you need to think of your friends your family, your neighbors. You need to think of the ones who are going to face the judgment of God without Christ. That will stir up a compassion. That's what Amos did. He said, how can Jacob survive? He's getting very specific here. 
if we were to have a national judgment, all of these that are related to us in some way, our circle of friends, our points of contact, without Christ, it's going to be disastrous. And so when you come before God and plead for our nation, what you do is you plead for the people around you that they'll come to know Christ. You ask God to stop. Cease. Don't bring that judgment. Give me more time to be able to share the gospel with these folks. To let them know that you are a loving God, one who gives hope. Third, how does God respond to our intercession? Well, God may relent from what he actually intended to do. There will be some people who say, absolutely not. God has already set everything in history. Everything is all detailed out step by step, and it's just the way it's going to be. And I will admit that it's a mystery. But nonetheless... A reality that God does relent. And I think he asked us, he asked us to be a part of that. They were so concerned that he will hear our prayer and give grace and mercy. In fact, if you look at it, verses 3 and 6 in chapter 8, you'll find those very words. I will relent. I will relent on those two plagues. So what does that word mean? Well, the word means a change of mind because God has been moved. He's been moved by our compassion, so he changes his mind on whether or not to bring judgment. God turns away from an earlier decision. He does that because our appeal matters. Our intercession before God, he listens to. And I think that's really important. The word suggests someone who deeps, uh, sighs deeply and groans and changing their mind like, oh, okay, all right, I'll not bring judgment right now. The God of the Bible is not an inflex inflexible machine. He personally responds in that dynamic dialogue with those who intercede, who fervently say, this is what God has shown me, and God, I want to stand in the gap for this. He hears us, the genuineness of our heart. The word simply reveals this too often for us to ignore. Genesis 18, we find that Abraham pleaded Sodom before God, and God changed his mind. He allowed Lot and his family to get out. When Moses prayed for the survival of Israel after their disastrous decision at Kadesh Barnea, God changed his mind because he was going to wipe out the people then. In Jeremiah 18, in, in those days, we find that God stated a principle that he, he may change his purpose for a nation Good to evil or evil to good. It shows his ability to change his mind. Jonah 3.10, we see that God changed his intent 
to destroy the city of Nineveh because of their sinfulness. So we find that God may change his intent when we pray for him to do so. He is not a rigid, cold, calculating computer. That he has put his program in place and it is just going to be that way, period. And you know what's beautiful about that? That's why we have this dynamic relationship with God. And because of his son, Jesus Christ, he said, I want your fellowship. I want you to have that intimate relationship with me. And so I want you to be believers who pray for your neighbors and who pray for your family, who pray for your friends, who interact with them, who strive to, to share the gospel with them. And you continue to pray and intercede for me to, to relent any judgment so they might have the opportunity to hear and to come. Having said that, there comes a time when God cannot relent. Amos saw a vision of God holding a plumb line. And God simply asked, what do you see? One word answer, plumb line. This is indicated, this plumb line, that God had taken the final measure, that he had taken that plumb line with that point straight down against the nation of Israel, and they did not measure up. They still had not measured up. Even after relenting and relenting, the final judgment was about to come. Basically, the measure of the nation did not measure up. There was no change that took place. And so he was no longer going to bypass judgment. The same is indicated by uh, a basket of summer fruit out of Amos chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And he asks us, Amos, what is this? Well, it's a, it's a basket of ripe fruit. And God said, that's right. The nation is now ripe for God's judgment. Those are chilling words. And Amos interceded and he interceded and God relented and he relented. But now God said, there's no movement. You see, there is a, a time for us to intercede. And there is also a time when intercession is too late. The judgment is going to come. God has never told anyone as a matter of record to stop interceding for America to this point. What that tells me is that we're still living in the days of God's mercy upon our nation. 
But at some point, God's patience will cease. I think it's a sobering thing to recognize that Israel has been a nation, as a nation, lasted from 922 to 722 B.C., 200 years. <coughs> 200 years. And what's even more sobering is that when the judgment came down for Israel and the ten tribes and the Assyrian captivity took place, they were never given the written edict to be able to go back to their home. When the southern kingdom fell in 587 B.C., after 70 years in the Babylonian captivity, they were given the edict to be able to go back home, but not the ten northern tribes. Some call them the ten lost tribes. They never came back to their homeland. In fact, if you go back into the historical records, you find that, that the Assyrians actually filled up the land with Gentiles. Now some will say, well, 1948, the nation of Israel was created. And yes, that is correct. And lots of, of Jewish people have come back. 95% are secular Jews. But just 5% being Orthodox Jews. We talk about ancient Israel. They never returned. America, as we hit this coming July 4th, we will have been in existence for 247 years as a nation. And God has richly blessed our nation. He's given us the charge to be a lighthouse to the world, a beacon to the world. Those early settlers, the pilgrims who came, that was the, the heart of what they came for. Moving away from religious persecution in Europe to this new land where they could probably share the gospel of, of Christ. If you go back and read the Mayflower Compact, you, you find that the propagation of the gospel was one of their goals. And so our nation started in those early years of the founding with this heart. And so God has given us that charge. And he's given us more time than the nation of Israel. And I think that, that we as his people, we should make this Independence Day and from this time forward a day of prayer and intercession that God would continue to show us grace and continue to show us mercy and allow us that time to intercede and to pray for more to come to know Christ and for the people of this nation to turn to him. Sometimes we say, well, 
We want the people of the nation to turn back to God. The reality is that most of the nation that we know of today, if you based their religious experience on accepting Jesus Christ and that personal relationship, most of our nation today, they can't turn back to that which they have never experienced. And therefore, it's critical for us to continue to be that light to our neighbors and our friends and to our family and to those that we see. That's why it's so important for us to actually develop relationships and friendships with people who are lost so that we can share the good news, so that they can see Christ living in us and see, wait, wow. There is something different about that person. They have an inner peace and an inner joy when life is difficult. And as you're interceding for those that you associate with and those that you're building relationships with, you are praying for the nation. And at the same time asking God, please stop, cease. Let the power of your spirit work because your people are praying. Father, as we get ready to move into our invitation, it is simple. Publicly or privately, I just ask that we would have an understanding of what intercession is and praying for our nation and praying for the people of our nation. And God, we are asking you to relent. So that your people can continue to have compassionate care on those who are hopeless and helpless. And that, God, we can point them to the one who gives all hope, to the creator of all. Help us to be the beacon. And I pray in this invitation today that, God, we would choose and we would commit to you to say, yes, God, I I will commit to be an intercession, intercessor for this nation. And I will name those people that I know when I intercede. But God, I ask you to stop the judgment. And God, as people in this worship service today, as they privately commit to that, God, I pray you'd hear their prayer and that they would be faithful, not just in words, but God, in a true, deep sense of compassion. And Lord, if there are other decisions to be made, there are those here that don't know Jesus, but today they would give their life to Christ. Those to rededicate their life, those that want to come and be a part of this fellowship and say, you know what, I, I want to join hands together to accomplish what God's desire is. God, whatever decision, let this be that spiritual marker day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing our invitation. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was
Just as I am and wait not to rid my soul of what I brought to thee whose work and cleanse each part Let's be seated if you would. And I want to encourage you, Nancy will share a little bit more, but I want to encourage you to be back tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, our choir, it's a good looking choir, isn't it? Yeah, they are. They do a great job. Great job leading us in worship. But uh, they'll be presenting uh, tonight uh, a wonderful patriotic musical with the focus of God and, and what God is doing and how God can use this nation and use us. So I hope that you will come at 5 o'clock. Come hungry if you would. And right afterwards we'll have our, our hot dog cookout. We've got some guys that are going to be in about 108 or 110 degree temperature outside cooking. So uh, just for their benefit if you'll come. Uh, that would be great and eat their hot dogs. Okay. It'll be a great time. Okay. Uh, Nancy? I would like for our two cookers, our grillers, to stand so that we can acknowledge them. Ron Reichert and Jerry Richards. Jerry, are you in the building? Just in case they're dripping with sweat later and don't want to see anyone. But we really appreciate them. And I also want to acknowledge our kitchen team headed up by Sandy Pennington and Kim Williams. They have worked all week in getting things here so that we can have our cookout. So Sandy and Kim, would you stand? And didn't our tables look lovely in the CLC this morning? Our decorating team, our co-team leads, Debbie Crump and Susie Van, would you stand? On the back of your bulletin, you will make note of several different ads, and there are sign-up sheets in both lobbies. I encourage you to take advantage of what's on the back of your bulletin and sign up for those things. I'm going to acknowledge Mita Cates, who is leader of our personnel team for a presentation. Miss Carol, would you join me up here, please? <laughs> Carol Swinney. In June of 2013, Carol Swinney was hired here at First Baptist Church. I'm not sure what her title was then, but today her title is Media Tech Ministry Assistant. We can just imagine what all the new things Carol has had to learn in these last 10 years because media technology has just exploded. But Carol has had a willingness to learn new skills in her job duties. And she has a desire to teach other people new skills so that they can use those skills in serving God and the church. Carol shows compassion for the needs of her church family. 
Those of us who know and love Carol know that she has a quick and witty response <laughs> no matter who says what. And she will always bring fun and laughter to any setting that we have here at church. Carol has a background in theater, which is evident when she takes part in any of the dramatic presentations that we see here in our programs. And that background and creativity comes forth through her printed materials and through the media presentations that we see on the screens. It is my honor on behalf of the personnel team to recognize Carol Swinney for her 10 years of service in First Baptist Church. Congratulations, Carol. to be down front here if you'd like to come by and say thank you for your 10 years of service. Please do so. Coming up front was Carol's highlight of the day. <laughs> Not. Reverend Dick Schrader is going to come and lead us in our closing prayer. Hebrews 4.16 says that because of Jesus, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Will you approach with me? Our Holy Father God, they say freedom isn't free, and it's not. We thank you for the inspiration of our founding fathers and, and our founding mothers for what they set pen to paper and heart, for freedom, for the cause of compassion and justice. We thank you for the men and women who have served in military or civilian roles to protect our freedoms. We pray, O oh God, that our United States will actually become united under the umbrella of your love. We especially thank you, our Father, for our Messiah, Jesus, who paid the price so that we can be free from the fear of tomorrow and free from the guilt of the past. Help us to leave this place today, not just feeling good that we were here, but leaving here with a new commitment to be ambassadors of freedom, compassion, justice and grace for we ask it in jesus name amen <laughs>